From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Welcome back to Terra Informa. I'm Dylan Hall and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news from across Canada and around the world. This week we have a story from our archives about how municipalities are trying to mitigate and adapt to climate change, including an interview with an environmental project manager from the city of Edmonton. That's coming up on Terra Informa, but first here are some environmental headlines from around the globe. Last week, the new NDP BC Premier, John Horgan, met with Jay Inslee, the Governor of Washington State. The two announced they will join together to fight climate change and create jobs. They said in a joint statement that, quote, Today we reaffirmed our commitment to work closely together and strengthen the enduring and unique partnership between British Columbia and Washington State. We recognize our shared responsibility to protect the environment, grow our economies, find new opportunities to expand our flourishing tech and innovation corridor, and create good jobs on both sides of the border." End quote. These initiatives include the Pacific Coast Collaboration, signed by Alaska, BC, California, Oregon, and Washington in 2008 to cooperate on energy issues. In other news, Brett Dolter, an ecological economist, at the University of Regina has found that Saskatchewan's Boundary Dam coal plant, with a newly installed carbon capture and storage process, still releases more carbon than a gas plant and is twice as expensive. While some say the carbon capture and storage project is a success story, Dolter is working on a report about whether Saskatchewan should continue to invest in this technology. When Donald Trump announced he would pull the United States out of the Paris Climate Agreement, local and regional governments stepped up to take leadership on climate issues. For example, former New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg launched the America's Pledge Initiative with over 2,300 American signatories, including cities and businesses, saying they are still committed to the Paris Goals. Here in Edmonton, the city government is planning to host the inaugural Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change the IPCC, Cities and Climate Change Science Conference, in March 2018. Terra Informers Amanda Rooney and Charlie Blaze sat down with Danielle Koliak, an environmental project manager with the City of Edmonton, to talk about the power that local leaders and municipalities have in addressing climate change issues. Danielle also told us about the city's newly developing climate change adaptation and resilience strategy, and about the upcoming Cities and Climate Change Science Conference.
the same so perspective. Funny. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, because you're just like, oh, it's just grass. Yeah, it's like, no, it has such deep so roots. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I just totally like, got a soft topic. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's awesome. It's, yeah. When I lived in Southern Alberta, I was always like, oh, you have to protect the native of Donald Trump pulling the United States out of the um, Paris Agreement, mm-hmm. um, there were a lot of mayors that like came together to kind of say, hey, like the U.S., we as a country as a whole have pulled out of the um, Paris Agreement, but we as cities are going to stick to the promises that we made in the Paris Agreements to um, take action to kind of mitigate climate change. Um, and so then that kind of got us thinking about like what kind of action and can be taken within like cities and what what the impacts of uh, local movements and um, actions can kind of like look like. So I'm Danielle Koliak, and I'm an environmental project manager with the City of Edmonton. So I'm in a small group. We're called City Environmental Strategies, and we work on a bunch of different environmental policy and management type issues, one of them being climate change. So in our group, we have people that work on um, our energy transition strategy, which is more about the climate change mitigation. How can we reduce our greenhouse gas emissions? And then my team is leading the development of a climate change adaptation and resilience strategy. So, you know, knowing that there's emissions in the atmosphere that, you know, will still be there, how do we actually prepare and adapt our city to the possible realities of a changing climate? That's pretty cool. I didn't I didn't actually know that we had I didn't know we had anything like that well we are just kind of in the initial stages of that strategy and so I guess I should say that later on this year or early in 2018 we'll be doing kind of a broader public engagement on that strategy development right now it's really um, subject matter expert led at the at the moment Um, so what do you think um, the significance is of the 247 mayors adopting the Paris Agreement uh, like after Trump pulled the U.S. out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just speaking as a project manager, I guess I think it's very significant. I think it shows that those local leaders kind of realize the importance and significance of climate change and climate change actions and that, you know, climate change is a global issue, but it affects different places in different ways and it very much affects local people. And so, you know, with especially with cities that are seeing actually seeing climate change firsthand, like more storm surges, such as Hurricane Sandy in New York, I think that, you know, it shows that these local leaders are really, you know, wanting to take action on that. And I think it's a very positive thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, uh, what role do you think cities play in climate mitigation? So I can't speak too much to the like legislative powers, I guess, that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not my area of expertise, but I think one of the big things that cities can play is really to try to encourage their citizens to take action and behavior changes. Um, even, you know, like really reminding people that every action really does count, even if it seems small. All the actions we take individually and collectively are important. So, you know, trying to encourage and create an environment that better helps people to say take active transportation as opposed to driving or energy efficiency programs that sort of thing and then internally I think 
um, to a city as a corporation and organization, our cities can really lead by example too, by you know doing sustainable building policies for their civic buildings and encouraging you know their employees to you know bike to meetings, for example, like just those kind of actions too. I think and I think that they are a lot more significant than people necessarily realize that small actions do make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. So do you think that localized movements um, for action on climate change can kind of affect the perception of the issue by the general public? I would like to think so. Yeah, uh, I think so. I know that we've done a bit of research on perception and that the majority of Edmontonians actually that participated in our survey were in the um, alarmed or concerned categories about climate change. And so I think that shows that, you know, we should be talking about climate change and let people know that, you know, they're not alone if they're thinking about it or worried about it and what, you know, and then also providing the tools, I guess, of like what can we what can we do to maybe help, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So I I do think that local action can impact perceptions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was kind of so. thinking for myself, like, I don't know, when your city's advocating for it, it, it brings it a little closer to home. Like the, the stakes are a mm-hmm. little higher when you realize like, oh, like your city could be impacted and maybe not so, so much in Edmonton as in like other like coastal cities. Yeah. And even things, you know, like clean air and like the economy, right? Things that yeah. people do think about every day. And yeah. it's like climate change can maybe affect those things for good or for bad. Right. There's risks and opportunities. Yeah, I guess, like, on that note, uh, what do you think, like, are some kinds of actions that people can get involved with on a local level in terms of the environment? Some of the things, I suppose, that we can, that I guess is coming out of our energy transition strategy is, um, so there's certain things that maybe aren't so much citizens, but we're doing, you know, a big, large-scale, large-building energy disclosure to make people aware and kind of that you know, let's see, benchmark ourselves against other places. Um, there's a lot of energy efficiency things people can do for their homes. And there's a lot of programs right now under the province. And uh, I just want to make a plug as well to stay tuned for a Energide um, program that might be rolling out soon with the city. So that's another thing that citizens will be able to tap into as well. Wait, sorry, um, I want to interrupt you for one second. What's, yeah. wait, what's an Energide? So, do you know Energide labels like on your washing machine oh, yeah. or your dryer? And that's yeah. how you like the energy rating. So, you can actually get that for your entire home as well. Oh, and then you cool. can, you know, know where, you know, maybe, oh, I need to double pane my windows, that kind of stuff. It's yeah. definitely more geared for, you know, homeowners than renters, but at the same mm-hmm. time, it's still, you know, like, I think um, heating our, our energy use in our buildings actually contributes, it's approximately, and I might get this number exactly wrong, but it's about 30% of our community greenhouse gas emissions. So it's actually quite significant. And so yeah. little things that we can do in our home really help. Even things such as, you know, like reducing the amount of shower time because the energy it takes to heat the water, all that kind of stuff. So there's really those small actions, but we take them collectively. They're big. Um, things like active transportation, like I'd mentioned before, is a big one. Or even taking public transportation instead of a car. We're also in the process of working on an electric vehicle strategy to try to encourage and hopefully get more um, infrastructure available for electric vehicles. Um, yeah, that's just so really those are some of the guess of the high level actions. And then of course, everyday sustainability choices impact climate change. You know, if you're buying more local food, uh, that sort of stuff, um, 
reducing the amount of, you know, maybe meat you're eating because there's a higher greenhouse gas emissions and water input into producing that food. Um, all those decisions, I think, really can make a big difference. I took this class, Science, Technology, and Society. It was like science value, or yeah, science values and culture. And there's like a whole chapter on like, um, just like uh, this kind of mentality that like, like everything will all add up, but it's so easy to get like to lose that to to kind of forget that like your actions are contributing to this like mm-hmm. larger issue and just thinking like oh I'm just one person exactly yeah. but if it's you know it's like a million one people are mm-hmm. doing that right yeah. that can make a big thing yeah and then even on the kind of the resilient side of things so not so much the reducing our greenhouse gas emissions but what can we do to like kind of prepare ourselves and really a lot of that is like you know it's it's things too like it Resilience ties into a lot of different areas, including, like, emergency management. So it's things like maybe we all should have an emergency management kit in our home. Like, could we sustain ourselves for, like, three days' worth of water or something if the wa- we no longer have potable water, that kind of yeah. stuff. And then it's also bigger actions, like thinking about um, different types of stormwater management, like low-impact development or rain gardens, um, that sort of stuff to help with our uh, flood mitigation or, I guess, stormwater retention. What's, like, rain garden? <laughs> so I'm not an expert in rain gardens. <laughs> yeah. But um, we have some, you know, really good environmental engineers who are. And so it's something that you can basically design on your in your yard so that it will capture the rain oh, as opposed okay. to it just, you know, getting into the pervious surf- impervious surfaces. So it's a low-impact development technique yeah. as well for stormwater management. And um, my personal lens, because it's my background, is really protecting our ecosystems and our ecological goods and services because we have these natural assets. And if we can maintain those and protect those, maybe they'll help us become more resilient to climate change. Yeah, Yeah. uh, that kind of makes me think also just of like community connectedness as well. That's a huge one. So exactly, like, we always talk about, like, social resilience, right? And exactly that. Like, how can our neighborhoods and communities be resilient? And how can we help people to be resilient and help our vulnerable populations and that sort of stuff? And Mm -hmm. definitely, I think community is a huge part of that. Actually, in this strategy we're developing, that's we have eight different kind of asset service themes, we're calling them. And one of those, our themes, is people. And that includes community and culture and food and agriculture and public health and safety. So we're trying to really make sure that we touch on on all of those different issues. And the good thing is, is a lot of cities have really been leading the way in climate change work. So it's really, we ha- there's a lot of resources that we can kind of tap into for that. That's awesome. So, yeah. 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 The more we can, you know, work together like as cities and then mm-hmm. as like communities and everything, I think it also, yeah, like you were saying, like it's easy to just kind of, you know, go about your life and like not talk to your neighbors and like not do any of that and whatever. And then like forget that there's kind of this network out there of, of mm-hmm. people around you that mm-hmm. are all kind of, you know, working towards a lot of the same goals and affected by the same kinds of stuff, especially when you th- think about like climate change and, and all of that. Like, yeah, if we can yeah, tap into that yeah. community network and like yeah. remember that we're all kind of in it, in it together it's much easier for like movements like um, I guess in regards to like climate change and stuff to be like those grassroots movements because it's a lot more connected to like the people that are actually Mm -hmm. there instead of like federal legislation coming down and saying oh like this like do this. Yeah and that's why I think too we have seen a lot of cities really taking 
a big like lead on some of this is exactly that, right? It's like you can you know the local context, you know the people, you can actually make a local impact. So, mm-hmm. and especially mm-hmm. you know with climate change, how it you know it all depends where you are and. So if, if at a you know big federal level, you know an impact like in Canada, right, an impact on the East Coast will be very different than what we'll see in the Prairie Provinces. So it's really nice when you can do it at the local level. So I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about the like City of Edmonton uh, climate adaptation um, strategy. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. There we go. Yeah. So I guess. Um, like I said, it's we're in the initial stages right now. So we've developed, we have a subject matter expert group that's working on, on it. Um, we're really we're at the stage right now of really looking at our potential future climate scenarios, and then from there we'll be looking at any potential risks, vulnerabilities, and opportunities that Edmonton might see. Um, to, you know, specific timescales that are. And we're using the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, their recommended best practices, their um, general circulation models, their, their, their RCPs they're called, and I can't remember what the acronym stands for now, but it's the concentration pathway, so the emissions pathways, basically. Um, and yeah, we're looking at it from a broad community perspective. It's not just our internal city operations. Of course, we have stuff that we need to make sure is maintaining the event of an emergency or a long-term climate shift so that our citizens are able to still access goods and services. But so we're looking at it from the broad schemes of um, water and sanitation. So that includes potable water, water supply, stormwater management, solid waste management, uh, transportation, looking at it from our road, rail, and our air um, transportation. So we've invited the Edmonton International Airport into our discussions. Um, we're looking at built environments, so all of our buildings, and that includes you know landscapes and that kind of stuff. We're looking at economy, uh, natural environment, and the people category I mentioned earlier, as well as emergency management and energy and utilities, so that if you know we can make sure that we still get electricity and that sort of stuff as things happen. And so I'm not sure how familiar people are with climate change adaptation, I guess, but we're looking. So we're looking at you know sudden shocks that could hit the city. So in Edmonton, you know, that could be things like an interface fire where a wildfire has reached our urban boundaries, or it could be localized flooding from a really severe rainstorm or a hail event. And we're also looking at those longer um, term stresses, we're calling them. So things like a long extended drought, or is there going to be a shift in ecosystems and invasive species patterns? Um, that sort of stuff. And a lot of that terminology actually comes from an organization called the 100 Resilient Cities, and they're a Rockefeller and Bloomberg Foundation, and they're really, they have 100 cities that are in this organization. We're not one of them, but we can still tap into some of their resources, and they're really um, paving the way, I guess, on this urban resilience front. So, And I should say, too, like, it's, we're really, you know, our... Um, in 2015, our mayor signed on to this thing called the Global Covenant of Mayors for Climate and Energy, which is, I forget how many mayors around the world are signed on to it, but that also supports the work for climate change mitigation and adaptation. And we have a, a council initiative with two council sponsors for that as well. So our council is really, you know, respects this work, I guess. Or So that that's a really positive thing too. I was also just thinking as you were like saying those things um I heard this and I don't know if it's true but um with like slightly higher than average temperatures than we had before we can grow more corn here is that true do you know 
I honestly don't know. Okay. I yeah, we hadn't unfortunately we haven't gotten into the detailed mm-hmm. analyses yeah. of that kind of stuff yet, yeah. but I do know that it's like I guess it would depend on the moisture regime and all that stuff yeah. too. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm honestly not sure. But that's something we want to look at actually is are those opportunities, right? Like if with the yeah. changing climate maybe there is a different crop we can grow or that that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. More corn. It's More biofuel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Maybe, um yeah. I guess, like, I just wanted, uh, when thinking about, like, all this stuff, like, I think it's easy to, like, sort of fall into, like, pessimism when you see, like, stuff like um, the states pulling out of the Paris Accord and just be, like, it can feel really overwhelming. So I wanted to um, kind of uh, end on a note of, like, what you see in your work that, like, kind of, or even just in your day-to-day life, like, that give, really gives you hope for progress on environmental issues in the face of the sort of political climate right now you're right that it is really easy to get pessimistic and kind of overwhelmed too like the enormity of it but I think for me what is really inspiring is you know I work with a lot of really inspired people and people who really want to make a big difference and that is you know really great to be surrounded by every day Um, I think too there are some political leaders that um there are a lot of political leaders that are want to do the right thing, I guess, and that are really looking to really stay strong um, on environmental issues and climate change, which I think is a little bit, you know, of a shift maybe from where it has been. And yeah, there are some leaders that aren't on that, but I think globally it almost seems like there's been a bit of a rally around it, even just, you know, seeing the people on social media and that sort of thing that are really upset and protesting. It makes me feel like there is that community driving it. Um, yeah, I think that's the main thing. And, and then focusing just on those, you know, the fact that the, all those mayors in the states signed on to it after, you know, their federal leadership pulled out, I think is really inspiring. And a lot of other countries around the world that have said they're staying committed, even though one of the big powers pulled out, I think is a really um, Im- inspiring thing yeah I read this good Gwyn Dyer article that made me feel a lot better about I mean this was before he even pulled out of the Paris Accord but I was just kind of talking like about it prospectively but um yeah just kind of talking about like how how much real damage like you know the current United States administration can can do in a global scale when everything else seems to be moving forward and like other global leaders seem to be pushing forward anyway and like China is making big commitments now and like stuff like that and like how Trump alone cannot, you know, keep um, coal going when there's lots of reasons that coal isn't, you know, is, is sort of falling as an industry and things like that. Like, and there is a lot of other commit, like people who are committed to, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, you know, the good fight, gotten, fighting the good fight. Yeah, and he's <laughs> yeah. people talking yeah. about it. It's, mm. Yeah, Which that's really is. true. If anyone is, is interested, I guess just stay tuned and you can follow us on Twitter at Green Yag. Awesome. That sounds really cool. I'm like kind of uh, excited to um, see what the strategy starts to look like as it, um, as it progresses. On that note, too, I should say that 
um, speaking of the global context, that actually in March of 2018, Edmonton is really excited. We're really happy to be the host city, and we're inviting the world to the first ever intergovernmental panel on climate change cities and climate change science conference. So that'll be happening in Edmonton uh, in March 2018. So I think that's a really, really, really positive thing for us as a city and also just for everyone and for this uh, type of this field, basically. It's exciting. So stay tuned for <laughs> that yeah. as well. That's really exciting. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. That's we'll definitely cool. have to cover that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tara and Formal will be there. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks so, so much, uh, Danielle, for talking to us. Well, thank you guys for having me. It was great. All right. Yeah. It's been awesome. <laughs> Signing off. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That was Terra Informers Amanda Rooney and Charlie Blaze speaking with City of Edmonton Environmental Project Manager Danielle Koliak about the power that municipalities have to address climate change. Before we go, here's this week's edition of What's Happening. This week, the Canadian Mountain Network is hosting a mountain festival in celebration of International Mountain Day. There will be quite a few different fascinating free events. Highlights include Wade Davis, the keynote speaker at the festival, speaking about his book Into the Silence, The Great War, Mallory, and the Conquest of Everest. This event will be on Wednesday, December 6, from 12 to 1.30 p.m. in the Meyer Horowitz Theatre at the University of Alberta. Later that afternoon, there will be a panel discussion on biodiversity, contaminants, and indigenous food security in mountain places. The panel will take place from 5 to 6 p.m. at the TELUS Centre at the University of Alberta. Roger Epp, the director of UAlberta North and a political science professor, will be moderating the panel. The three panelists will discuss how biodiversity and plant and animal contaminants affect food security in indigenous mountain communities. The next day, on December 7th, there will be a talk given by photo historian and University of Alberta professor Colleen Skidmore on her new book, Searching for Mary Schaefer, Women, Wilderness Photography. This will be on Thursday, December 7th from 3.30 to 5 p.m. in room CAV 243 at the University of Alberta. For more information about these events and other events, you can go to www internationalmountainday.ca slash events. Also, on Thursday, December 7th, the City of Edmonton is hosting the Change for Climate Talks, an event to inspire Edmontonians into climate action. The event at the Art Gallery of Alberta will feature 11 speakers who will each get seven minutes to talk about a climate change-related topic. The speakers include Edmonton's Poet Laureate, Ahmed Nomadic Ali, Anna Ho from Paths for People, and Edmonton's historian laureate, Chris Cheng Yen Phillips, whose name you may recognize as a past Terra informer who contributed some pretty wonderful interviews to this show. If you want to hear even more stories like that, check out our website at terrainforma.ca, and while you're there, look for the survey tab in the menu.
We would love to get to know our listeners and what you enjoy about the show. Your input can influence the content we gather over the next year. Also, upon completing the survey, you can enter a draw for a chance to win the opportunity to host Terra and Pharma. Like, we are right now. Oh, wait, no. Not we. Me. All alone. You could be with me right now. Right here. In CGSR studio in Edmonton. Or, if you're from another city, no problem. You can still co-host from afar. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. If you have questions or comments, send us an email to terra at cjsr.com or tweet it at Terra Informa. Visit us at terrainforma.ca and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks this week to our contributors, Ashley Couches, Amanda Rooney, Jason Wong, Sophia Osborne, Sydney Carbonick, and Shelley Jodwan. I've been your host, Dylan Hall. Catch you next week.